Welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word, the podcast that empowers you to say, fuck being fine. Tired of being stuck in a place where you say everything's fine when it's really not fine at all? You're not alone. I'm your host, Lori Seitz. I've been there too, and so have my guests. Here's a secret. All it takes is a conscious decision to change and then restructure beliefs so your actions take you in the right direction. That's where fine is a four-letter word comes in. Each week, you'll hear inspiring stories from people who have transformed their lives and businesses and practical tips and takeaways to move you from spinning in place to forward action so you can create a life of joy. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. It's still summer as far as I'm concerned. And in today's summer session, we're going back to episode 16 from August of 2021. It's called Do What Lights You Up, Messages from Snakes and Scorpions with Tab Scott. Tab is an award-winning international advisor, speaker, and best-selling author of Trust Your Animal Instincts, Recharge Your Life, and Ignite Your Power. If you haven't read this book yet, what a story. Highly recommend. In this episode, we talked about the intersection of science and spirituality in regard to energy, how animals can help you find answers. In Tab's case, it's been snakes and scorpions, hence the title of this one, and what you can do to achieve purposeful transformation one small bite at a time. Here's what's changed in Tab's world since we published. Tab is very excited about working on her second book now. It's about taking badass lessons from nature to make businesses faster, more productive, and positive. Mark your calendar. The projected publication date is February 2024. She's consulting on sustainability, energy conservation, efficiency, and renewables, as well as innovation, behavior change, and team building and dynamics. Lastly, she's moved with her partner, from Nashville to Denver. Tab's got an incredible story, so keep listening. Speaking of changes and moving, if you've been dreaming of escaping your life and taking a sabbatical, but you don't know how you can make it work, head over to zenrabbit.com. That's where you can get your free copy, The Five Easy Ways to Start Living a Sabbatical Life Without Having to Take a Year or Even a Month Off from Real Life. There's more to come on this topic too. Check it out at zenrabbit.com. Hello and welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. My guest today is Tabitha Scott, and we met in a really interesting way. Tabitha was doing a Google search on the term purposeful transformation and came across my LinkedIn profile. She reached out to me. And we knew we were kindred spirits from the first moment. And so I'm so excited, Tab, to have you on my podcast today. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. And I am um, all about that purposeful transformation work. I just released a blog today about it. And, you know, not much was written about that. And for your name to come up and the work that you've been doing, it was fascinating to me. And then the more I got to know what you're up to with this podcast and listen to some of them, it's pretty darn fascinating. And I think a lot of women can relate. Thank you. 
I like to start out our conversations with a little bit of an understanding of where you came from in terms of the beliefs that were instilled in you as you were growing up that possibly had an effect on uh, on how your life has played out so far or from, you know, childhood to that point where everything was fine. Yeah, so I had some pretty strong paradigms that were laying into me as a strict Southern Baptist. I was Methodist part of my child raising years and then um, Baptist the other part. And it was a no alcohol home, you know, death and damnation and repentance and never ask about other religions because they're just all going to hell. It was a very strict upbringing with uh, very clear rules. And I think there were reasons, you know, that path was chosen by my parents. They were school teachers and so structure was very important to them. So it did teach me a lot of things about values and community honesty, you know, very good things. And um, it it taught me a lot about um, the Bible. We never missed a Sunday. We were like three times a week, churchgoers. And okay. so it was very active and engaged in the Christian faith. And what I learned as I grew up and I began studying electricity, electrical energy, and then human biofield energy. And the more I learned about quantum science, the more it reinforced with the Bible but also other religions talk about with this mm-hmm. source of universal energy and that we are all just vibrating light. That's what we are. And so for me, it was like this Easter egg hunt. And the more I learned, the more I realized, oh my goodness, this is this explains the Holy Spirit or this explains how Jesus healed people. Or, you know, it was like this affirmation of what they taught me. But I also, through my travels and work experience as an executive in the renewable energy sector and, you know, working overseas and in different countries and my travels, I learned a much more broad understanding of different faiths and an appreciation for spirituality and connectedness that I didn't have growing up. And uh, since that time, I'm able to share that, you know, back with my family. And they're pretty understanding. You know, it's so interesting to me, too, that you brought up quantum physics and spirituality and how oftentimes it's one or the other. It's like science or spirituality. Why can't there be both? Because they are really intertwined. It's the same thing. You know, that's what cracks me up. It was like, I read this book called Sapiens and it was like this big light bulb went on after I read that. I was working in Israel on um, some net zero housing and one of the guys at Jerusalem University said, I think you're going to love this book as curious as you are and as into energy and physics, you're going to really like it. And it was so cool because it put in perspective how religions were created as ways to add structure during certain periods of time for certain reasons. Mm. And that really put a different perspective. And it, it was enlightening for me to look at it through that lens. You know, if you look at the King James Version of the Bible, for example, um, God or Christ, they're referred to as the light. 272 times. It's because we're made of energy, you know, so it's in the language all around us and in all these ancient religions. So it's just super cool for me to think that, hey, it's all the same. It's not in conflict. I love that. I love being able to share that with people to help them see different perspectives. Yeah. And put like religion, you know, aside for a minute and look at how we are all born into 
different socioeconomic conditions, different countries, different um, political beliefs, different education levels. All of these things are different and our paradigms are different but yet we're made of the exact same energy. And so, so are the plants and so are, you know, animals. And we all go through the same growth cycles. Even companies go through the same growth cycles. And that's why they use the S curve. So to me, it all just comes back to energy. It's the source of everything. Right. So you just brought up companies. Let's go to where you took these values and applied them to your professional career as an, a renewable energy executive. Tell me a little bit more about that journey that you were on. Then. I had started out, I um, grew into an executive early on. So by the age of 30, I was CEO of my first company. And I thought, you know, making money is great, but it feels a little empty. And this great mentor I had, Dana Bowers, she said, um, you know, find what you're passionate about and then figure out how to get paid for it. And so that's what I did. I said, I'm going to solve the energy crisis and people will care and, you know, renewable energy, that's the future. And I had so much enthusiasm around it. It wasn't even like working. And I spent a lot of years working with um, companies on business models to adopt renewable energies because they didn't want to change. You know, they didn't care about climate change like I thought they might. Um, now on the coast of the United States, they do in certain areas, but where I was in the Southeast, you know, coal is cheap. And so it was really popular. So it it took a lot of thinking about how to approach things from a business model so that people could get into energy and action. So they were talking about renewable energy, but they really just were in it for the money. They were only in it if you could find the money for them. And that was what I did. I found ways to, like, instead of putting a solar array on an individual house, which might take 10 years to pay back, you put a bunch of solar arrays on a bunch of houses, like at Fort Bliss, you know, 5,000 homes, and you make an asset out of it. So it's just like investing in real estate assets. It was a separate asset that generated a return for companies. So coming up with these creative models and working with other companies to do that is how we got it pushed through. You, you were living and your whole life at that point, right? It was Everything was fine. Oh, everything was so fine. It was the best fake smile in a selfie like you have ever <laughs> seen at that point in my life because my kids were grown and, you know, gone. They had just left the nest. Everybody, you know, this cookie cutter life that I had, you know, this executive and her kids are grown and gone. They're independent. And, you know, this 21 year marriage, but uh, that marriage ended. The kids, you know, left and I was empty nesting at work. It was 17 years in an industry that, like I said, um, was constantly convincing people that renewable energy is a good idea because it reduces pollution. It helps your health. And people just didn't seem to care. And again, in certain places, mm. California or, you know, New York, certain places that they did. It was just complete burnout from being that happy, pleasant face and that ball of energy and really encouraging people about uh, what could happen if we if we did some things that reduced our carbon. And at that time, when I was speaking to groups, I would say, hey, you know, how many people have heard of the Exxon Valdez spill? And everybody would raise their hand. What about the BP Gulf spill? You know, and everybody would raise their hand. And then I'm like, what about the TVA spill that was in Tennessee and Kentucky? 
It was a hundred times the size of Exxon. It was 10 times the size of BP and nobody ever raises their hands because, you know, we don't even know what's going on right under our noses. And the deeper you get into that underbelly of the industry and the more you learn about what we're doing to our health and the death of the animals, the drinking water for seven counties that was affected, um, it just became overwhelming you know, that I couldn't help. And Mm -hmm. I felt like I was bringing these little thimbles of water on a forest fire, you know, and it just wasn't making a difference. In our call that we did before this interview, you told me about the absolute breaking point when you just decided, all right, I cannot do this anymore. Tell, Tell my audience how, what happened there. It, that, that conversation, the, the whole thing, in the in the board, yeah, it was in a training session with executive leaders from um, around the country and some from overseas. And um, I had just weeks prior um, had surgery for a breast cancer scare and hadn't told anyone at work because I had been shooting all over myself. What I mean by that is I should not let them see mm-hmm. me sweat. I should not tell them about this surgery. I don't want anyone looking at my breasts. I don't want anyone thinking about me in that way. In episode two, Dara Goldberg talks about shedding. See, the shedding the shoulds. That's what snakes told me in my book, <laughs> Shed Your Skin. But that's another story. So, um, yeah, I was yeah. busy shooting on myself. Um, you should be able to, you know, cope with this marriage that's, you know, dissipated after a couple of decades. And the surgery was like, it, there's so much to process when that happens to you. You're processing, am I still female? Are people going to look at me funny? Are people going to know? Mm-hmm. Um, this was scary, but I don't want to tell anyone. I mean, there's so much that you're processing emotionally and mentally. And then physically, I had these tubes running in different directions coming out of my body. And if you've ever had a major surgery like that, you've got stitches going in different places. So all this was going on under my business jacket. I can't even believe you were sitting there two <laughs> weeks later. Half marathon three weeks later. <laughs> oh my gosh. So we're in this training and it was negotiations training. And again, it was executive level. And someone piped up and said, hey, here's what Tab was able to negotiate last night at dinner. She got us all these things just, you know, using the skills we learned in the, the training yesterday. So the teacher says to me, Tab, why don't you share with the class what your techniques are? Now, I was excited about this because I worked from home and these people I don't get to see very often, maybe once every other month. So this was an opportunity for me to really shine. And I was one of very, very few females in that industry. So before the words even could come sure. out of my mouth, this crusty old guy, pale, stale male, raised hand and he says, well, clearly Mm. she raised her shirt and used her tits. And that's how she got what she wanted. And no words, Uh. you know, could even come to my mouth, nothing witty at the time. And I leaned over to the director of HR that was sitting next to me and said, ha, I guess he missed his sensitivity training this year. Oh, yes, yes. I'll take care of that. But Mm -hmm. uh, nothing was ever said. Wow. That just blows my mind. Like, just like, uh, whatever, that's, that's how he is. Nah, so that is the okay. moment that, um, for whatever reason, being so emotionally exhausted, I just, I didn't say a word, you know, I just was like, 
enough. I can't take it Mm -hmm. and quit my job. I gave away most of my things and I went to live in Costa Rica near the jungle for three months. So you quit your job. How did you decide Costa Rica? And did you just quit and then in the same moment go Costa Rica or had you been (laughs) thinking about Costa Rica maybe, you know, for weeks or months before? Yeah, the quit came over a period of time. I had a wonderful boss at the time and um, was able to work out, hey, I'll go ahead and work till the end of the year. You know, I knew it was going to be a period of time. And then I knew I wanted to go somewhere. So I started languaging to friends. I want to go somewhere. If you know anybody that has a place I could rent, if you, you know, and I want to go somewhere in the middle of nowhere, preferably in a language I don't understand. And um, I just want to be away from everything and immersed in nature. And um, a friend of mine had a, another friend with a place in rural Costa Rica. It's an hour and a half from paved roads. You know, for three months, I got it for about the same price as a week at Disney. So super inexpensive, but there's a reason. Wow. Um, scorpions. <laughs> scorpions. Scorpions are real. No, thanks. Did you wake up with them? Now that you brought it up, I have to ask. Now that I brought it up, well, um, I'm going to add scorpion scorpion wrangling to my LinkedIn um, qualification because I'm one of those people that thinks, you know, like, let's take the spider outside. Let's not kill it. And so I'm trying to do that with these creatures that, I mean, I'm in Tennessee in Nashville the last 15 years and Kentucky before that. We don't have scorpions. So I didn't know what to do with them. And their little barbed tails were all around ready to get me. So I'm putting them in plastic cups and taking them outside. I saw eight of them in a 48 hour period. And it was one of those in my book, I talk about animals that are answers to what I was asking the universe at the time. I would say, hey, what should I do about this? What should I do about that? And I became very, very attuned to the animals around me. So during that 48 hour period, until I figured out what the message was, they kept coming. And then after that, I didn't see anymore. What was their message? Their message was I was trying to decide whether to invite someone I had been dating down to Costa Rica to stay with me for a week or so. And all of the shoulds, you know, this guarded heart, I was too scared. And I had this huge barrier, this hard shell Mm -hmm. around my heart, if you will. And I kept thinking, what does a scorpion have to say? You know, they have an exoskeleton, a hard skeleton. You know, they're fierce. They're in constant defense. And I was like, okay, okay, fine. Just let it go. Take the risk. Invite this guy down and, you know, stop stressing out. Again, I was raised in this era that what will people think? You're not married Mm. to this guy. I didn't want to disappoint anyone. And finally, I just said, forget it. I'm going to have fun and I'm going to invite him. And as soon as I did, they quit coming. That's fascinating to me. I mean, it makes total sense because I believe in the, you get the signs if you're paying attention, which, you know, so many times people ask for a sign, you know, God, universe, whatever, please give me a sign of which direction I'm supposed to go. What decision am I supposed to make? And they stress and they stress that signs are coming to them. They're just not seeing them. Yeah, you're not seeing them. And going back to the episode you mentioned where your friend was talking about shedding the shoulds, that was the very first animal message that I got. I was asking about the job specifically. And do I change my name back? What do I do about these things that I kept seeing snakes for a period of months? And we Googled, we said, is there a snake craziness, you know, going on in the Nashville area? We looked for everything. (laughs) And finally, one day it was like this flash of light. 
shed your skin and snakes shed them because they can't grow into what they're supposed to be. They're literally oh. held back if they keep that skin. And so you have to shed it. And then the other reason they shed it is to get rid of parasites and think about all the relationships, the negative self-talk, the pressures I was putting on myself. So um, shed those shoulds, get rid of them. And uh, hey, learn from the snakes. Was that before or after you went to Costa Rica? That was before that was before I quit my job. What were the the tools that you used? I think you mentioned journaling. What were the tools that you used to help yourself heal from that all the the pain and the everything's fine here? Like those years of stuffing everything down yeah. to transforming into the person that you then became. What were the tools that you used to do that aside from running away to Costa Rica and just hanging out in the jungle for 3 months? Definitely. I did a ton of journaling and I am not a journaling person that typically does that, but I documented everything that happened in Costa Rica and how I was feeling. I wrote down some very painful memories and I burned them one evening and then buried the ashes in Costa Rica. So uh, I took some books to read about dealing with emotion and things like that. But mostly I think better after I run, I'm a very active person. And so sitting cross-legged and breathing techniques, they don't work well for me unless I'm exhausted. So for mm-hmm. me, my happy place was getting in the jungle and running on the trails. It was a hundred degree heat, sweating and doing yoga every day and just embracing the messages from the animals and from nature. Um, So I didn't even have cell phone service. There wasn't even an address or mailbox of where I was staying, which should have been the first clue. And um, so it was wonderful. You know, I I didn't have the option to get online and check anything. I had to go to the nearest village to get Wi-Fi. Now I have a practical question that came up, and I'm sure that my listeners are also thinking this question. Where did you get your food? (laughs) It's not like you could go to Trader Joe's. No, no. But there were small groceries. Um, There were places that you could get food. You just had to go into the nearest um, village to do that. Okay. So yeah, my first day, I forgot about these wild dogs that were, they were between the grocery and where I was staying, the little place that I was staying. And I rented a bicycle in in the town to get around. And I went to the grocery and I had this pot on the front of the bicycle. I had my backpack. I had groceries strapped to this. And it's like this leisure bicycle on dirt roads with potholes the size of bathtubs. I mean, it was insane trying to ride that thing. I didn't do it very many weeks. I was in the car. Anyway, those things were clanging, you know, like a monkey with giant cymbals, really loud, calling the dogs, and I'm trying to outrun the dogs. It was was quite an adventure going to the grocery, but I figured, you know what, I can drop some margarine or butter or something, and maybe they'll eat it instead of my leg. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Yeah, not many people go to the extreme extreme length (laughs) that you went to to rediscover your life's purpose. And you know what? It I didn't realize it would be that extreme, to be honest. I looked on a map and I was like, oh, it's near the ocean. How cool. It's near the jungle. How cool. You know, how bad could it be? And in my mind's eye, I had like, you know, a, a mountain home or something. I didn't really realize how remote, but 
it was wonderful. I was raised, as I said, by two um, school teachers, and they made us abundantly curious about nature and everything has a purpose. So even if it's scary, don't be afraid. There's a good purpose for it and be respectful. So it, it was good. And you know what? You don't have to go to the jungle because um, anybody can tap into their energy. Anybody can tap into and recharge and reconnect at any time. It ended up being exactly the place that you needed to be, though, is what I was going to say. It was. It was for me because staying positive and staying happy and going from fine to fabulous, you do that by following what makes you happy, following what makes your heart sing. What are those things you're doing when you're subconsciously humming, when you lose track of time, when you forget to eat? Those are your high vibe activities, love, compassion, Mm -hmm. you know, passion, And um, doing more of those. And for me, I was feeling those all over the place because here are monkeys. Oh, I love monkeys. You know, here are these crazy raccoon looking things, Kodamundi, that I didn't even know existed. Sea turtles. It was just, I was in bliss the whole time because of the animals and my love for them. Mm -hmm. So wherever your passion is, it might be art. It might be playing an instrument. It might be petting your cat. Whatever makes your heart sing do more of that. And that's what gets you to a place where you can hear your intuition and really reconnect. Sometimes people need to step back even further though, because I've had so many conversations with people who believe that that is what they need to do, but they don't even know what makes their heart sing, what they enjoy doing anymore. They're so far removed from anything that is, feels joyous to them that they have to step back and rediscover what is it. That's exactly what I did. And it takes practice, but you can definitely do it. Anyone can do it. What you do first is you start to notice, when do I get that feeling? And by that feeling, I mean that feeling like when you're blowing the candles out on your birthday cake or your favorite team takes the field or a singer hits this impossibly high note and you get goosebumps, you know, goosebumps are a great Mm. indication. Jot it down, like whatever the heck you're doing at that time. That's one of your high vibe activities. Yes, paying attention to the energy that you're feeling. Yeah. Which comes right back to what are you doing now? Yeah. You know, when I eat at my mother's house and she makes blackberry cobbler, dad has this organic blackberry farm in Elizabethtown, Kentucky, and it's so yummy. It's almost blackberry season. I will find myself subconsciously humming. And it's not something I'm aware of, but now that I Mm -hmm. know, oh, that's a happy place for me, eating cobbler at my mom's table, you know, in Kentucky. And so try to notice when you catch yourself subconsciously humming. You might be going to the grocery store, but what exactly are you doing? Is it a song you just listened to? And the more you can start to refine it and keep a little list, then when you're feeling off balance, I mean, God knows after the last year we've had, everybody off balance, Mm -hmm. go back and reference that list and practice some of those things. That's such great advice because like I said, we it's it's about tuning into what is it for you. And you mentioned a little earlier that you can't sit cross-legged and just be quiet because that doesn't work for you. You need to be moving. And, you know, when I do the meditations, there's there's always a meditation as a bonus to the episode, to the interview episodes. It's about getting comfortable, whether that's sitting or lying down or walking around, whatever works for you. It's the same concept across the yes, board. Yes, and that's why your meditations work for more people because I mm-hmm. think 
we're all absolutely different in the way that we transpose the energy in our lives, but we are all made of the same energy. So we have access equally to tap into it, but we're going to do it different ways because we're not all exactly alike. Right. That expression of energy is going to come out in different ways. It is. It was also funny for me as a, um, I'm a certified energy manager and a demand side manager. So I'm used to working f- with engineers, very logic based people. And like you were saying earlier, um, people think that you can't be logical and spiritual. And in the jungle, it really became profound to me that they are the exact same thing, that energy is the way to describe how we're feeling. It's high vibes and low vibes. Think about everything in our language that talks about our condition of being electric. She lit up when she came in the room. Wow, I was really drained after he came in. Or, you know, I'm spun up today. I'm off balance with COVID. So many things in our vocabulary are about the words, you know, dealing with electricity. I'm transformed, you know? It goes uh, so tell us briefly a little bit more about what you are doing. And I wanted to mention your book too, because I did just start reading it and you referenced it a couple of times already. And it's called Trust Your Animal Instinct, right? It is. Trust Your Animal Instincts, Recharge Your Life and Ignite Your Power. So it's about tapping into your instincts, getting rid of your shoulds and the pressures that are holding you back. And then um, whatever you find once you tap in, taking the risk to move forward with that. And that is a huge thing that holds people back, especially business people um, or even in our relationships. It doesn't have to be in business. We don't like to take the risk, but it's really important that we do. Right. We don't want to take the risk because what if I get hurt? Right. What if it doesn't work out the way I would like it to or I expect it to? Or Yeah. What if it hurts? Yeah. And I use the um, old samurai warrior technique. You know, they used to think about death before battle. They would imagine that they die and they go through that process mentally before they go into battle. So they're free to fight and be free of that. And so I say, if you have a decision and you're weighing whether to take the risk or not, ask yourself, what is the worst thing that happens? And if the answer is something that you still, if you're still excited about going forward, then do it, you know, stop thinking about it and just do it. And if you think worst thing that happens is I get fired and you're not willing to take the risk, then don't, you know. I'd go so far to say uh, if it doesn't result in like physical death, do it. (laughs) (laughs) Again, what's the worst thing that could happen? Because you make a decision, people get stuck on being, again, being afraid to make a decision, but almost no decision. There are a couple of decisions that you could make that are irreversible. Yeah. But 99% of them are maybe not reversible isn't the right word, but changeable. You make a decision. It turns out not to be what you were expecting. You make a different decision. Right. And you move in a different, uh, down a different path. Right. And that's so important. I call it, um, you know, if you decouple people's opinion from you, if you call it the should monster, you know, all that pressure off Mm -hmm. and say, you know, I'm not disappointing my dad with this. I'm disappointing the should monster or, you know, my boss or my friend or whatever. And um, it gives you a different language and a different way to process it. Yeah. What is the worst thing that happens? You, you fail and you learn the no's in life for me have been equally important as the yeses because you learn what doesn't work and you can just go faster. Mm -hmm. Right. You have to, and you use the word fail and I would challenge that. 
in terms of like, well, first of all, redefining what is failure. It's just getting to an outcome that wasn't what you wanted or expected, but it's not a judgment. It's yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, redefining success in addition to failure, this mass Mm -hmm. exodus of people from the workplace that we're seeing now, because people are burnt out. They don't want to go back to the same, you know, hour long commute to sit in a concrete box all day. And you know what? They have redefined success and success is about a balance. Success is about connection and it's about well-being. So, so what? Quit your job. Find something that you love. Redefining what, again, what is success for you? Because it's going to look different for you than it looks for me, than it looks for you know, 17 other people, everybody has to define it for herself, himself. And once you do that, you're, you kind of have this freedom to, I'll say, live your purpose. Purpose is such a big thing. Like people are always looking for what is my life purpose? And that seems so um, daunting, but finding, again, finding the thing that lights you up to use another (laughs) energy term. Yeah. And you know what, Lori, I like to say, find a little waypoint instead of going through life on cruise control, trying to find that perfect destination. What is my purpose? Oh, please tell me my life purpose. I I can tell you my purpose changes three times before breakfast in the morning. And so find a waypoint um, that makes you feel a little better. So maybe you hate your job today, mm-hmm. but you really like mentoring the girl that sits across the pod from you. Then start mentoring her once mm-hmm. a week and then maybe twice a week. And then ask your boss if you can mentor others. You see what I'm saying? Find these waypoints that make you happy yes. and start adding more of them into your life. And what you see happening is you'll see this purposeful transformation you're going to be going from miserable to at least doing more things you like and more things you like. And over time, you'll find yourself in that state where, hey, I'm in touch with my intuition. I'm going places and I'm embracing the journey. That's such a fantastic place to stop here. And But before we actually stop recording, I got to ask you about the hype song. What's the song that chart? Well, we'll go continue with the energy. What's the song that charges you up when you need an extra boost of energy? My song would be, I get knocked down, but I get up again. You know, like that's me. And that's what we're talking about. Chumba Wumba. Yeah. You're going to get knocked down, yes. but just get up and find another waypoint and just go a little distance further. Quit trying to figure out your whole life. It's just going to stress you out. Just go a little further in a direction that makes you happy. How can my listeners get in touch with you if they want to get a copy of the book, reach out to you, find out more about what you're doing? Yeah. Connect with you about your journey. I am all over social media, Tabitha A. Scott. You can go to powering-potential.com. So powering with a dash in the middle and then the word potential.com. And it has information about the book and some of the other fun stuff I've been up to. Excellent. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much for joining me today, Tab, on Fine is a Four-Letter Word. It's been so fun. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. I don't know that I would have survived a day in the jungle with wild monkeys and scorpions, but I love that Tab did and came out of it so rejuvenated. Here are a few key takeaways from today's episode. Number one, whether you're studying quantum science or religion, the concepts are the same. Logic and spirituality are talking about the same universal energy. 
no matter what one's background is, socioeconomic conditions, nationality, political beliefs, or different education levels, we're all made of the same energy. Number two, the scorpions and snakes were delivering messages. Animals can be the answers to the questions you're asking the universe. Tune into that energy to get the messages they're bringing to you. Pay attention to the signs from nature. Number three, even if it's scary, don't be afraid. There's a good purpose for your adventure, whatever it is. You don't have to go into the jungle to get in touch with nature and your own energy. You can tap into and recharge and reconnect anytime. Number four, one of the steps in moving from fine to fantastic is doing what makes you happy, following what makes your heart sing. When you lose track of time, when you forget to eat, those are your high vibe activities. Do more of that. And that's what gets you to a place where you can hear your intuition and really reconnect. Number five, if you have a decision and you're weighing whether to take the risk or not, ask yourself, what is the worst thing that could happen? Will you die? If not, and the answer is something that you're still excited about, then go forward. Even if the decision turns out to not be what you were expecting, you can make a different decision and go down a different path later. Tab mentioned the no's in her life have been equally as important as the yeses because you learn what doesn't work and then you can just go faster. Number six, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to find our life purpose. It comes back to finding the thing that lights you up by looking for small waypoints. Start by adding more of these waypoints into your life, and those small steps start adding up to bigger, purposeful transformation. If you're interested in reading Tab's book, Trust Your Animal Instincts, and let me tell you, it's one of the ones that I have not been able to put down, you can get it at her website, powering-potential.com. Thanks for listening to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. If you enjoyed the show, please follow and share it with a friend. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform to help others discover it too. You can find links to my socials on my website, zenrabbit.com. And before you go, take a moment to reflect on what you're grateful for today. Remember, you have the power to create a life you love, and I'm proud of you. Thanks for joining me and take care.